The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty. The Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, welcome to the Easter Sunday edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show. Uh, some of you know Easter as Resurrection Day, and we can talk about the symbolism and uh, the belief system surrounding it, but we'll also have a great conversation, including subjects like that. As the Spirit flows through me and you and all of us, uh, as it impacts all of uh, the areas and aspects of our lives. And that includes, you know, as I talk about healing, uh, physiological, physical health, emotional health, mental health, uh, even some economic and, and, and spiritual uh, and political aspects. All of that's involved in this show because I don't try to uh, pretend there's like a partition, you know, uh, uh, that we can apply our belief system to only certain areas of life, but not others. Now, this doesn't mean. Uh, as I have uh, traveled down these, this healing path in this lifetime, that the things that I have done for healing, I want to beat you up and make you do. <laughs> That's something, you being the recipient of things like that in my life, it's not a pleasant thing. So in honoring what I believe is one of our prime directives from our creator, from God, is uh, agency, freedom. That is spiritual freedom, the freedom to choose our path, because uh, I believe in uh, a creator that wants us to choose him or her, however you perceive it to be, uh, or it. Uh, and that is that choice is so fundamental. For me, one of the greatest gifts beyond life itself is agency, choice. And so as I discuss things of a spiritual nature, and I love to do that, uh, it is always with the, what would I say, that that underlying principle of spiritual freedom. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? What does that mean for my guest this hour, Steve German, Pastor Steve? And he's going to be joining us in just a moment as well from Grace Evangelical Church in Wisconsin. And we have a website linked up in the show notes at robertscatbell.com. It goes graceisforyou.org. And I, I met Steve, uh, I don't know, it's, can I say a, three years or more now? Four, how long has it been? I'll find out when I did uh, a tour of Wisconsin with our buddy uh, Kevin Tuttle. And it was in the midst of a lot of the COVID craziness, the masking, the, the you know, separation, the, the, the mandates, the prohibitions. And there were people like Steve as a pastor who said, you know what, we're not going to cooperate with that. We believe in freedom and you can't, as a state, tell us as a church what to do, how to worship or not to worship to shut us down. And so there are people like that that to me are an inspiration that they recognize the very vital role of I say religion, but spirituality in America, where it is not subservient to a centralized state or bureaucracy. And we talk about the First Amendment to the Constitution, which doesn't grant you the freedom of religion, but basically says uh, the government is prohibited from, you know, mandating a state sanctioned religion or prohibiting the free exercise of your belief system. And that's a great thing. That's a unique thing in all of the history, recorded history of governments of the world. And Many of the, the the prime, say, I guess use this directive. I'm using Star Trek terminology today. What's the prime directive in America? It, it You know, it, it drew people of various religious beliefs together in honoring our freedom to worship the creator God or, or even the freedom not to, if that was your perspective. 
that they were tired of of operating under a state sanction or or a, you know a, a theocracy. In other words, a, a government that says this is the the state religion and you must all participate or be imprisoned, die, whatever. I mean that and that has happened throughout history uh, when I think people have lost their way in a religious belief that says you know what, convert or die. And I don't care whether it comes from a, 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 a Jewish perspective, Christian perspective, a Muslim perspective, or any other perspective. I think that dishonors the freedom God granted us, God gave us. So what is it about the Easter weekend? What is the symbolism, even if you're not Christian, uh, that you could take from it, going back in the history of the springtime, the renewal, the life renewed, uh, as we, uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, come back to the light, in a sense, and we begin to plant our spring gardens and hopefully grow the food that uh, is uh, maybe not growing as abundantly via uh, mass uh, producers of food, factory farms, et cetera, that doesn't or doesn't sustain me and my family the way I grew up with it. So with that, I'm going to open up the, the microphone and the camera to my good friend, Pastor Steve German. Welcome back to the Robert Scott Bell Show, Steve. Happy Easter. Well, happy Easter to you as well, Robert. It's great to be back. Great to see you. Uh, actually, it was in 2021 when you came rolling through here. So it's not quite been two years since I first wow. met you and got to have breakfast, got to hear you speak, hang out a little bit, all that. But you're right. That was right kind of in the apex of the crazy with COVID that unfortunately lingered on here in the state in some places, in some counties, yeah. longer than others. In fact, all the way in like well into 2022, there were counties that still had some mask mandates and requirements of that sort. Remind me, Steve, of what was happening because you you're not far from Madison, which is very much a a, a liberal democratic hub. Uh, and I say that just because of the context of the belief system that came into being or or strengthened in terms of belief in government um, mandates and and prohibitions and things, as opposed to believing in the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, etc. Did you have any local ordinances or state level ordinances saying you had to shut down or you had to you know, force mask everybody or separate out by six feet the chairs at your church? What happened there? That's a great question. In fact, uh, so I'll start locally as it pertains to the church and as it pertains to life in Dane County, which, as you mentioned, is very liberal, very progressive. It's not only the, the capital of the state here in Madison, but also uh, we have the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So with that culture, along with it comes the policies. Plus, uh, Dane County has just had a reputation for many decades. And with that, they they were holdouts, but not in the good way. They were holdouts long into us knowing full well, the public knowing that masks don't work, that the vaccines don't work, and in fact are harmful. They were holdouts just holding the line for trying to get us to mask up. So they said that any gathering that was open to the public, which a church would qualify for, we our doors are open for anyone who we would be blessed to be able to minister to, that we had to mask. And again, that went on for over two years. Uh, not only did we have to mask, we had to separate. We had to have signs uh, requiring the masks on our doors. And what you mentioned earlier before I came in was that absolutely we decided we're not going to do this. Uh, and this all ties in so perfectly with the whole theme of this message in this Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday, because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we believe Second Corinthians 3 verse 17 says the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we and it goes on to say, and this is what's especially uh 
uh, pertinent to what we were going through. It says, and we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to the other. So it even has in that very passage, not only the fact that where the Lord is, where his spirit is, there is freedom, but also we can approach him with unveiled face. And beyond just the the fact that uh, wearing a veil over your face makes singing difficult it it psychologically impairs our ability to bond with one another and so we as a church when we come together as a community of faith and we are saying we are brothers and sisters and we are forging relationships with each other as we strengthen our relationship with our creator that Mm -hmm. is absolutely hampered when we are forced to wear a cloth over our face for no other reason except uh the the premise of of public health and safety so recognizing that the county government has no jurisdiction in our church, that that's where God alone has jurisdiction. We made a very clear stance, and I even was able to to stand in front of the county board of supervisors and say, we will not do this. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Uh, Nothing happened to us. I had said before that I was very well willing and would be proud to be the first pastor in Wisconsin to to go to jail over this, but nothing happened. Uh, we received one phone call. That was the extent of it. So it turned out that the government in this case was a paper tiger, as they say, uh, all threat and uh, or all bark and no bite. And Absolutely. unfortunately, many people, even I, I say people of faith, uh, fell for the subjugation to uh, government as opposed to uh, uh, b- living their beliefs or faith. And maybe, maybe their beliefs weren't as strong as we thought. We, we've certainly seen... Uh, in the era of the fear of COVID or germs, uh, that many people had abandoned what they proclaimed to believe. And and yet, you know, I, I support if that's their choice to operate in fear to do so, but not to uh, force us or you or me or anybody to uh, live that way any more than I, you know, would support one religion to dominate through the force of the state to mandate worship in a way, you know, whether it be Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, whatever, I, I believe in freedom. And I think, you know, even recognizing the differences in, uh, religious views, I, I think some in, in the Muslim community around the world do veil the faces of women or cover them up in an, uh, what we call in a more fundamentalist view of, of Islam. Yet, if that's their religious belief, uh, you know, that's absolutely. different than the government mandating it. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. And and that's, that's, you know, central to the very founding of this country, which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit when we discuss mm-hmm. recent election results and kind of what's been out of kilter with how our great experiment in a democratic republic is supposed to work or was designed to work versus how it's working right now. And just like a a human body, when you uh, have bad inputs into it and things get out of whack with one another and all the systems and our gut biome and things like that, when, when those things happen in a body that is, is our, our government, a collective of, of we, the people, you know, uh, then you also see see bad results and unhealthy things that that happen in other parts of the body, and and we've seen that all over. One of the biggest problems with all of this is that what was imposed upon us as a county here in Dane County, Wisconsin, was imposed by unelected bureaucrats who were completely unaccountable to we the people uh because yeah we had the right to complain uh it's one of our first amendment rights if you want to call the right to petition or the right to free speech that includes the right to complain but 
that was curtailed in part because obviously social media was not allowing uh, or the big social media companies were not allowing certain views to be shared. Uh, obviously, our freedom to assemble was being curtailed because we were being told how we were allowed to assemble, what we had to wear over our face to assemble, how far apart we had to be. Uh, and so therefore, our also our First Amendment right to religion was being severely curtailed because we were being told how we practice our our faith um so so yeah it, it's absolutely a, a mindset that is driven by fear and never once did we ever tell people who felt as though they they should wear a mask or it was in their best yeah. interest that they could not yeah that was nothing on our side if i can call it a side right. uh, I, I just talk about the freedom loving folks there was nothing about our intent and purpose or, or, or uh, uh, you know, demands that the government force people to stop wearing masks. Or, and so it's quite different. That's where I say, um, you know, whether you have a, a liberal or conservative viewpoint or anything in between isn't my concern. It's whether you're attempting to use the power force uh, of government to mandate something that, that violates my fundamental beliefs, my fundamental freedom. And that's to me, I come back to the agency concept, the freedom concept of, of, of God giving us life. Yes, that's number one on the list of I'm grateful for life. And right next to it is like the choice, the freedom. And mm -hmm. some people, they don't like that freedom because people make choices that they think are bad, maybe actually bad choices. I've made a few in my lifetime. But it was the uh, the grace of God that allowed me to suffer enough to find my way back by choice, not by, again, force, deception, coercion, fear, etc. And so much of the uh, participation in the, uh, the medical police state was done not because we appealed to your higher intellect or higher uh, goodness, even though they kind of tried to couch words like you care for your brother and, and and Jesus would would get the shot. So why don't you? But it was through the fear of death, the fear of causing other people to die because you breathed on them, as opposed to understanding what I believe to be the, the breath of life itself, that breathing is an act of, 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 of uh, extraordinary grace, if you will. And Absolutely. celebrating together means, yes, you're going to breathe as you sing and worship and dance and 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 cherish life and and come together in that celebration that they then said no no, no that's the uh, absolutely verboten or for, right. forbidden if you're you're a walking bioweapon if you breathe right is what we essentially were told to believe which you know it's interesting you mentioned that because mm -hmm. the very word for breath or the verb to breathe is so closely linked to that of the spirit in the Greek. It's, it's pneuma P N E U where we get all these, you know, uh, pneumatic, uh, or pneumothorax or pneumonia, but yeah, pneuma is spirit. And that's so related to the breath, that life giving force that's in us, that's coming out of us, that's coming back into us. And so in our minds, it's inextricably tied together to have breath in our lungs and also be of, of spirit. Mm -hmm. And with that, when you try to, like you were saying, and I appreciate this so much, it's fundamental to recognize that, that life itself is a gift from God. And there are so many implications of how we live and how we operate in the body politic that come forth from that, recognizing life as a gift, all life that we see as a gift. But beyond that, just right, as you said, right beneath that, uh, God could have created life 
where we are all kind of inanimate in we're organic material, but we have no agency, mm -hmm. but he gave us free will and that, that stewardship of our own will and our discipline of our own will, our self-control of our own will, uh, the ability to use our will for good or for evil is in and of itself a blessing that we have that stewardship. So that's what we want to empower people, individuals, families, communities, all the way to, to recognize that God-given agency that they have, which, yes, it starts with life, it starts with breath, but it goes beyond that to everything that a person does they have agency in and as we see with government it should be upholding that rather than curtailing that mm -hmm. and um just to step back a little bit too um it wasn't just the county level here just like in in most states we also had an executive order uh in march of 2020 here that was and I just thought I'd say this because because the title of it's so ironic. It was Executive Order Number Twelve, called the Safer at Home Order, which closed all non-essential businesses and told everyone to stay home. And I just think that that's funny because most bills and most orders are named something that's either oxymoronic or something that has nothing to do with, or is the complete opposite of what it's actually accomplishing. And I think that safer at home is a perfect example of that because we saw that drug abuse and suicide and depression and all sorts of mental health issues skyrocketed during lockdowns and people's personal health and their care for themselves went way down, not to mention their exposure to vitamin D and outside and all that God provides us in nature uh, was taken away. So yeah, we had the safer at home order here in Wisconsin that neither made us safer, but it did uh, make us stay at home. Yeah, it's a, an extraordinary thing. And I'm not opposed to being at home, but to mandate the, you know, it's, it's kind of a lockdown in your own home. And then where is freedom? to do whatever you, you felt. And they said, well, we'll let you out for a few minutes here and there. I mean, there were some extreme examples of that, for instance, in Australia, uh, where they really literally locked you down, not figuratively. If you left yeah, home yeah. without an excuse, you could be arrested. I mean, it's an astonishing thing. And of course, we think of um, Australia and you know, Western-style democracies as being bastions of freedom. And we, we learned even in these United States how much uh, freedom is a, you know, a, a tenuous thing when we are afraid of the government as opposed to the government fearing the people where there may be liberty. I think we go back to Thomas Jefferson and others in the founding uh, father's generation that I'd like to see a revitalization of. And remember, the freedom we talk about is the freedom for everybody, even for people with whom we disagree. As Absolutely. long as you're not using your belief system to beat you know, the tar out of somebody, right, to force them. Uh, to do things they don't want to do. Again, that's the thing. Where does my freedom end? Where yours begins. And that's a, you know, what we call a a principle, a foundational principle, I think, even a golden rule scenario, if we go back to perhaps a Judeo-Christian concept of do unto others, uh, that that concept. It's a, you know, it's a responsibility, which is the dual aspect of freedom, right? If freedom comes without responsibility, then there is absolute evil that manifests. And I'll give an example of that in, in medicine, uh, the quote-unquote freedom to produce a, a product called a vaccine, but the absolve or absolution from the injury or death that it can cause so that the manufacturer or the people behind the manufacturer can put a product out, can injure and kill 
with wanton disregard for the gift of life itself, and there's no repercussion, at least on a political and economic or legal level. On a spiritual scale, I don't think you escape that, no, but no. the perception is that, and therefore, when humans, however good they could be as being created of God, uh, can then, in the illusion or delusion, that they are now godlike and can operate without any repercussions, any consequences for actions, will now uh, really deliver great harm to people, believing that there's no consequence. And that's, again, uh, spiritual immaturity is an understatement when I say when when people go for that or believe that's a good thing. Absolutely. You know, and before I went to seminary and studied theology extensively, I studied economics at the undergraduate and graduate level. And there's a term that we like to use there called moral hazard. And that's when accountability is removed from the equation. You think of uh, in the recession, the bailing out of all these uh, financial institutions that basically uh, realize that, hey, we don't we're not really held accountable because if we're too big to fail, if we get too big, then the government will come in and bail us out. And it caused them to make risky decisions, risky lending decisions, things like that. And then we had the the market, the bubble burst in the housing market. And in the same way, yeah, that there's moral hazard when you have companies that are manufacturing things that are, uh, as they claim, uh, things that are supposed to protect people, keep them healthy, things like that. But there's absolutely no liability or accountability. And our entire system of government is based on, uh, well, of many ideas, the idea that the people will hold uh, those who lead them accountable. They'll hold them accountable at the ballot box that, you know, they derive their authority from the consent of the governed, the consent of those who they would purport to pass laws that would affect. So you have major moral hazard, not only when you're talking about pharmaceutical companies that don't have to reap what they sow as far as bad products are concerned, but even when you have unelected bureaucrats who are pushing things over people and they can just, you know, put their hands up and be and realize they still have a job regardless of how catastrophic their decisions may or may not be. Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, by, yeah, we go into, of course, scriptural uh, back, back, up or doctrine in in terms of you know where maybe our beliefs originate but like for me it's an experiential thing putting these things to the test i don't think we should uh have to blindly just believe everything we even read but put those things to the test because the people of faith that really live their faith have put it to the test and they found it hey it works that's why they have those beliefs and follow them uh, but the idea that uh, we could go through life wantonly cause you know destruction damage injury and death and not take any responsibility. Having this, uh, I think it's like a, a you know a, a child that is left uh, of his own accord that doesn't know yet right from wrong because of the immaturity. And on a soul level state, even if we could be in an adult human body, we're behaving as if we're children. And I don't mean in in the reference to Jesus talking, unless you become as little children. You know, enter the heaven. There's an innocence and beauty in that, but I'm talking a behavior that doesn't acknowledge or recognize the impact of our actions. Now, I'm not saying I've never done anything that had a negative impact on another, but I would hope that uh, you know that I have accounted for that in some way, shape, or form. That I now that I know better, I do better, and this is part of the you know the issue of even the medical community. Steve waking up, uh, who've been blowing, for instance, a religious 
construct of vaccines, right? And I called them uh, a, a sacrament within the church of pharmaceutical mysticism rather than a scientific endeavor of genuinely trying to protect life, for instance. Uh, it was a, mis, uh, a misdirected or misapplied concept of a good thought. Hey, how can we help protect children from getting sick or even dying? I don't mean the motivation is wrong, but the application of it when we ignore the harm done and we don't even question, hey, the harm that is done is worth the price that's paid. You know, and these are the things that I look at in terms of spiritual maturity as it applies to different areas of our life, right? I'm trying to bring the spirit, spiritual law and principle in all of those aspects and trying to hold the doctor's feet to the fire on you have been participating in something causing great harm. You didn't intend to. I don't, I don't think most docs intend to harm, but the reality is they did. Now, under the COVID uh, a few years, we've seen visual, and they have come to a visceral understanding, some of them, about the harm that they have done by blindly believing, having blind faith, not in a religious doctrine so much, even though it's applied that way, but in a pretend scientific construct that didn't account for, what are we talking about here? The responsibility of your actions, that just like the manufacturers of those, those jabs or shots and what's in them, they then were granted this liability-free zone to where they can go, well, doesn't matter what happens, I'm nothing's going to happen to me. And then finding out that maybe that's not a great way to go through life. Absolutely. I mean, anytime all accountability is removed, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, you know, you, you send your kid off to college or wherever they go after they graduate high school and you just give them a uh, carte blanche, you know, you give them uh, a credit card and how does it happen if they match for disaster? They're going to max out that credit card. They're probably not going to think too much about it or anything like that. And the same goes for anybody. And I think that comes down to so we tumber things about our own uh, ontology and to who we are as human beings and what our, our purpose is. You know, we're created by God, we're created in the image of God. So that has profound implications. But understanding human nature, I think, is is critical to to derive any any real true understanding of of liberty and the importance of liberty because number one we we don't support liberty and, and freedom just because of the maxim the idea of, of freedom and liberty itself not just because of that i mean freedom and liberty is a great concept but also we understand human nature and realize that's that's the only way that we can truly have a flourishing society is when people are free and when you don't give uh, when you don't cede massive amounts of, of power to a uh, an autocrat or a governing body or a sovereign or an oligarchy or anything like that because we know with an understanding of human nature that power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely mm -hmm. uh, even in our own selves you, you said that you know you and I are both from from the very beginning we're against masks but we never, thought that, hey, you know, we, we don't want to institute a law that says you can't wear them. However, I'm an autocrat or a dictator and my finger is on that. I, I would be tempted to just say, all right, we just know how, how our minds work. We have this desire sometimes unhealthily to, to want to control, to want to see things uh, our way or through our lens. So because of that understanding, we know that we must limit ourselves. And in a 
in a system where we are our government, we form our government, we created a system that is designed to limit ourselves, limit our own appetites, limit, uh, even if, you know, 51% of the population wants a certain thing, guess what? That's not how our system works. Our system doesn't allow a tyranny of the slight majority either. And it's set up that way because we understand both the beauty of, of human nature, you know, created in God's image, created with free will and autonomy, but we also understand uh, the the drop the flaws of human nature, which is hey, sometimes humans use their free will to mm-hmm. try to domineer or control or replicate what they see in their own mind in everybody else. But since we're all unique, the only way to make this all work is if we all self-limit our own power mm-hmm. and all respect the power and the sovereignty of each person. Whether, you know, if they want to wear the mask, you know, I see people still driving alone by themselves, occasionally wearing Mm -hmm. a mask. And I have to remember, you know, even if I were an autocrat, you know, that's that would not be good. I got to respect their autonomy and their sovereignty to uh, breathe in their own breath while they're in their car by themselves. Yeah. The restrictions on our behavior placed on us as we perceive by government. I think about self-governance, you know, that is the ability and willingness to do the right thing, even when no one's looking, right? What is a governor on your behavior? Are we built, is it built into us? And, and I, you know, I look at again, modern medicine and it's, uh, beloved, uh, beloved drugs, if you will, they, they, you know, their, their focal point, the allopathic system to look at, uh, you know, young people with behavioral disorders as if it's a drug deficiency. And then they put them on various drugs that often we now know eliminate the governor of their behavior. You know, even right. as people they learn right from wrong, and suddenly they are dysfunctional in some way. I would argue, and often minerally deficient, so that they are mm-hmm. dealing with uh, animal urges. When you're a hypoglycemic, you have this hunger. The higher functions of the brain are starved of nutrition and oxygen, and therefore you just not on what is right or wrong or, you know, in a moral or ethical sense, but on what you desire or need in that moment. And then you see that uh, even uh, suicidal or homicidal ideations and behaviors could be made manifest because that which would normally limit the action of those thoughts is gone via drugging the, the individual. And so, again, there's a lot of disconnect, as I say, in our healthcare system that cares not for actual health, but the profitability of an industry that often has limited or no liability for the, the carnage that they leave in their wake. And, and I look at uh, the, the faith community. Here we are on, on Easter weekend uh, talking about these principles, uh, you know, somewhat non-denominational way because we have uh, viewers, listeners from all yeah. backgrounds and, and faiths and acknowledging again for the Christian uh, 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 believers day, the resurrection of Christ, uh, how that manifests in, in beliefs and viewpoints from all over the world, from a standpoint of a seasonal awakening, as we talk about the light returning Northern hemisphere, what does that mean for renewal and growth? And a lot of the symbolism that is involved, even in, in Easter, uh, that we could argue there are some pagan borrowed rituals that happen on Easter. I don't mean to upset anybody, but we just acknowledge those historical realities playing themselves out and how we, uh, you know, celebrate holidays, holy days, if you will. Uh, and I, I just, again, look at the the people of faith from various religions, and I find it interesting, like in, in my, you know, Jewish upbringing, how the doctors were praised beyond all others in the congregation. You know, they were heroes to the congregation, and, uh, and, and yet 
we now know they are responsible as the third leading cause of death in America. I'm like, why is that praiseworthy automatically? Now, if you do something that's worthy of praise, fine. But just in general, hey, you're part of a group that happens to be the third leading cause of death. I'm thinking we have displaced and misplaced our warship, if you will, on a, a, on a different level, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the, from the divine to that which is still learning, get, finding its way. A absolutely. And that's just a, a human story uh, world over throughout all of history is being off target when it comes to where to place our worship, and our trust and our hope and even our appreciation. I mean, look, I, I have a tremendous amount of, of respect for people who grind and work hard in whatever they're doing. Uh, however, it, it became very nauseating early on in, in COVID hysteria to see whether it was government bureaucrats just deciding which businesses were essential and which ones weren't. And then from there, you see these pictures, again, all respect in the world of people who are grinding and, and making a living for their family. But uh, certain essential workers were in memes where you got these Marvel superheroes who are who are bowing to them and saying, you know, you're the real heroes. And I'm just thinking like, hey, we're all out here trying to to provide for our families to make a difference, whether we're making a difference on a global scale or even just at, at home or in our own selves. We're improving our own selves. Everyone's trying to do that. But we've all of a sudden shifted the focus and the attention and the trust and the worship very particularly at that time to our healthcare system. And again, there was that moral hazard and that we're removing a lot of liability. But also, I think that people turn the critical thinking part of their brain off because they wanted an answer. So when you look to, to the state and then you look to the industry that the state is, is really working through and setting guidelines for to mm -hmm. uh, make something straight out of this crooked mess, then you're going to have a lot, of, a lot of problems and you're going to lead to a lot of wrong conclusions. And most of all, you're going to accept uh, things that are completely unacceptable and you're going to accept the erosion of liberty that happens right before your very eyes. In fact, uh, one of my favorite quotes by uh, F.A. Hayek, who wrote The Road to Serfdom and a number of, of wonderful works, he, he said, emergencies have always been the pretext on which the safeguards of individual liberty have been eroded. Mm -hmm. And once they are suspended, it is not difficult for anyone who has assumed emergency powers to see to it that the emergency powers will persist. And right now, or recently, we dealt with that with, with COVID. Uh, we're going to see other public health crises that are an emergency, which are the pretext for eroding individual liberty. But the big one um, that has been present for a while now and is not going anywhere is the climate. Climate and, yeah. yeah, we want to erode your freedom to move about the earth cabin except by ways prescribed by us. And of course, by means that uh, will only allow you to use money, for instance, that is now digitized, a tied right. to a digital identity that I think is disgraceful because it, 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 it denies our divinity, our relationship to the divine and kind of uh, puts us in a kind of a machine-like uh, reality where we are digitized like IBM numbered Jews in the Holocaust uh, mm. in the concentration camps. And, you know, I've been a uh, I won't say outspoken on this because I'm very sensitive to this. This is one of the hardest issues for people to conceive of uh, with social security numbers. 
why I didn't uh, get those for my children, because I believe they are tantamount to the mark of the beast. If not, they lead to it. And again, everybody has their interpretation of it. But how is it they can implement the digital ID and the digital lockdown where you are locked down in your home without a fence or a barrier that's physical, but just an invisible barrier of digitized money that is denied to you, accessible to, to use it because you have a belief that you know doesn't embrace the LGBTQ kind of uh, agenda. Uh, which, you know, from a, a, a person of faith perspective, look, if you're an adult and you decide to live a life that's different than I live, that is your freedom. That is agency. But to demand, you know, certain things like we, you know, must uh, grant you special rights, which are not rights, but privileges, simply because of a, a belief about your gender or, or, or how you how you live, that again crosses the line because it, it you know, disavows that the specialness of each individual is our we are created in God's image. Now, what you do with that, that's that's up to you. Uh, you know, as I look into where we are as far as the next level or round of mandates and prohibitions, the next emergency, and you brought that up beautifully, I look at, you know, from a biblical perspective, was there a clause in the Bible, whether you go back to the Hebrew Scriptures or the, the so-called New Testament, that says, you know what, God also laid down this thing in there, it's hidden, but you can look, you can find it. If there's an emergency discard all of this, including the Ten Commandments. They, they don't mean anything anymore. Do whatever. As opposed to my perspective or belief is if there is what you perceive to be an emergency, wouldn't that mean you would go and and go deeper into right. those yeah. articles of, of faith and behavior and, and, you know, saying this is how you navigate those dangerous times? Absolutely. You lean into into it all the harder because that's the, the bedrock. That's that's the foundation right. of how we even understand. It's the precondition for even understanding what is moral, what is right, what is wrong, making heads or tails of, of anything. So no, you don't suspend those things. You use them all the more, uh, and as we always should. We always should be placing those at the forefront of our lives, That which is you know, our guiding force of morality, but you bring that even more when things get murky, when it's hard to to understand. And I, I do think that that happened with quite a few people. I'm sure you notice, uh, you know, and I, I appreciate your show so much and the variety of guests that you've had on um, really brings a summary statement to mind for me, which is that a lot of people have woken up to those kind of things. They they were faced with the uncertainty, particularly of, of covid and the things that happened from the government, uh, from public health, and just in the world over during COVID. And instead of uh, turning to the golden calf, instead of turning to uh, the the statue of Baal or whatever it is, they leaned all the deeper into, into God because they knew they needed an answer and that this was ultimately a spiritual battle either way. And so, you know, as much as the there's the black pill of looking at how how terrible, how deceived so many people are, the, the corollary that I think we should be shouting even more is all of the people that truly their their spirit uh, was awakened to to a newness of of life and understanding and in critical thinking and a, and a desire to use their agency and their freedom in a way that they hadn't before. Yeah, and in a similar light, when we talk about, uh, uh, you know, maybe a political reality or a governmental reality, the Constitution doesn't provide for an escape clause when there's an emergency either. But we've seen the abandonment of principle as opposed to the embracement, embracing ever, you know, uh, more intensely the principles that brought us here made these United States 
extraordinary in the history of, of, of uh, recorded history of governments on the planet, one that would uh, defend liberty, defend in, including as we talk about today on Easter Sunday, religious liberty, you know, the spiritual freedom that we enjoy or we thought we enjoyed other than what COVID showed us. Oh my gosh, how far is the government willing to violate or the people that are engaged in government willing to violate those fundamental tenets or principles that say thou shalt not, right? With like in a 10 commandment scenario, pretty clear uh, discussion here. Now we're talking with Steve German, Pastor Steve German, his uh, church, uh, graceisforyou.org, graceisforyou.org, linked up in the show notes at robertscabell.com. I always enjoy the conversation with you. I hope, uh, I don't know if Kev can can uh, hook us up for another Wisconsin. You know, he's the Holy Land and moving his family to yeah. soon, which is pretty exciting. Uh, but appreciate it. Is, I, I mean, I got a tear in one eye and a smile yeah. in the other because I'm so excited for him. But mm-hmm. we're going to miss him so badly. But I'll have a place yeah. to stay next time I'm over there. That's true. Yeah. Get to visit uh, Israel and we'll have a place to hang out, which will be fun. Uh, so I, I want to ask you about some uh, uh, so-called political realities that you've gone through yeah. in Wisconsin since I visited there. More recently, uh, a controversial election, apparently, of a Supreme Court justice at the state level, Wisconsin. Uh, where there was somebody who was running in favor to win, uh, maybe considered more conservative, uh, and then uh, apparently some radical leftist uh, Democrat got elected. And I got a question: you know, was there is there suspicion of uh, you know illicit type behavior or, or you know illegal type behavior in terms of counting the vote? Uh, how do you think this happened? What is your perception there in Wisconsin? Well, I don't know enough personally to to suggest what could have been happening as far as ballot harvesting or anything like that this time around, especially since the election was just two days ago. But absolutely, that's a, that's something that's going to be hard to put back in the bottle. You know, make elections normal again, I would like to say as a campaign slogan. Why the fact of the matter is, in this day and age, it takes us not hours, not days, sometimes weeks to know the results of elections that we used to be able to get all the voting done in one day, essentially, and then know the results that that evening. So it's going to be very difficult to get back into the bottle at all a trust in in our elections and how they're going. And I think one of the things that is very clear is that Early voting has been used is uh, by the Democratic Party to uh, elicit as many votes as they possibly can from whatever the sources may be, nursing homes or uh, other community centers, things like that. If early voting did not heavily favor them, they would not push it and defend it as, as much as they, they do. So people on the other side, you, you got to learn to play that game. You know, uh, they say, what, hate the player, not the game. I mean, I kind of hate the game myself, but you got to learn how to play it. You got to, you know, we need to be more engaged and more involved in what does this look like? Okay, if an election truly, if the voting in an election is going to be a months long ordeal, then we can't on one side limit everything up until election day. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got to really see what it looks like to, to have a ground game that's getting ballots turned in. Um, from the very beginning when it opens up. But as far as the actual election itself, so yet you you summarized it very well. Uh, I think this just goes back to, again, we touched on this earlier, a problem with 
the entire system of government being out of whack. So, you know, not, not to get into a civics lesson because your, your audience is, is very intelligent and well-informed, but you know, we have our executive legislative and judicial branches of government. And what we're talking about here is the, the judicial branch, which in Wisconsin, we elect our Supreme court justices when there is a vacancy. So they're not an appointment. So that, that was an election. However, one thing that's very unique about the judicial branch of government is that that is a nonpartisan office. Their job is not to write the law. Their job is not to enforce the law. That Those are the legislative and executive branches, respectively. Their job is to interpret the law uh, with their legal expertise, their understanding of the state constitution to call balls and strikes and fair or foul on. Is this law that was passed by the legislature legislator and signed by the the governor the executive branch is this constitutional is this legal is this uh what we're doing you know all of those things decide the legality of things so with that being said what we should be hearing from candidates who run for supreme court should be about their judicial philosophy their track record how they they handle and interpret the law Instead, what we got in this election from uh, Janet Protasewicz, who was the the winner of the election, she was giving uh, nakedly veiled, uh, thinly veiled partisan uh, red meat out to uh, whoever she thought her constituency was. This this election was partisan in every single way imaginable. Who paid for the ads? It was partisan. You know, liberal super PACs uh, paying into her. Uh, election campaign. What she said, she ran on um, a how she supports a woman's right to an abortion and, you know, what she called uh, reproductive rights and things like that. Those are all her opinions, but this is her job is going to be to interpret the law and to call balls and strikes and fair and foul on laws that are passed. So when she is running on a uh, partisan talking points, you know, beyond that, things like criminal justice reform, uh, beyond that, things like trying to make districting fair in the state of Wisconsin. Well, what is fair? Who decides what is fair? It shouldn't be anything about fairness. It should be about what is lawful, what is legal. But we didn't get hardly any of that. So instead, you have an election that uh, supposed to be nonpartisan. It was extremely partisan mm -hmm. and what is has been suggested from her campaign is that really she's going to be legislating from the bench she's going to be taking the 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 duty that has been given to the legislature that the yeah. house and the senate and usurping that and making decisions uh, much like uh to be honest roe v wade was all the way back in in uh, the early 70s that was a a decision made uh, from from the judiciary. Judicial and, activism, so to speak. Um, yeah, judicial was, activism is a perfect way to say it. The idea, of course, of adjudicating disputes about uh, the meaning of, uh, or interpretation of, of the law as it's written, again, that's part of the, the judiciary's uh, responsibility. But as you point out, if somebody is absolutely legislating from the bench, uh, it becomes uh, obviously very problematic. And we deal with, again, another uh, uh, inevitable challenges probably going beyond the state Supreme Court up to the uh, United States Supreme Court. And of course, they don't always get it right either. And the question is, no. what is our obligation at that point? Uh, if we come back to our religious slash spiritual discussion, our obligation to follow or obey unjust laws. 
And then I come back to the concept of nullification on a spiritual level, much less a constitutional level. Right. And, you know, for that first layer of that about unjust laws is, well, what is the supreme authority in, I'll start with the, the federal government. In the United States of America, is the supreme authority Joe Biden? Well, I, you know, I, I'm certainly thankful that he's not. It's also not Kamala Harris. It's not uh, Kevin McCarthy. It's not, uh, you know, anyone in, in the Senate either. The supreme authority uh, from a governing, uh, governing standpoint is the United States Constitution. And so I look at, and I'm just going to go to the to the state level too. So Wisconsin, which is the context I'm in, obviously, the Wisconsin Constitution is is the document. It, it is the authority that binds those who we elect to to represent us and to lead us. They are beholden to it. That's what everyone puts their hand on a Bible and swears to uphold. So when the Constitution of Wisconsin has a clause that says that the rights of of are protected of the people to uh, exhibit their faith or to uh, you know worship in the way according to their conscience. Then that says that hey, no matter what County Health says about me having to wear a mask, according to the much higher authority, they say that if according to my conscience I worship without wearing a mask, mm-hmm. then I don't have to listen to that. That is how we can how we can see that the the. the you know, how our government has been stratified and, and set up. But again, uh, it's so out of whack and off kilter from the design. And I'll say this to illustrate this point, just a little mm-hmm. bit of a history lesson. Um, I picked on the judiciary and judicial act, activism, legislating from the bench, things like that. But every one of our three branches of government, even the fourth unnamed branch of government, the, the bureaucracy, mm-hmm has all usurped authority that doesn't belong to them. So to punctuate this, George Washington, our first president, in his eight years in office, he issued eight executive orders, eight. Thomas uh, Jefferson had four. Well, I skipped John Adams. John Adams only had one executive order in his entire presidency. Now, originally, those executive orders were seen as a way for the president to direct federal officers, which I think fair fair enough. They're the commander in chief. They're the the, 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 the running of uh, the executive branch. You know, right. Exactly. That, yes. uh, and then at times they were used by early presidents in the late 18th and, and 19th centuries uh, when Congress was not in session and there was an emergency, something needed to happen and again, emergencies are the pretext for eroding liberty. But we could see that a little bit when there's a crisis, when Congress is not in session, instead of getting them all on, you know, in, in some uh, carriage and getting them all to Washington, a president could temporarily have an executive order that could solve some problem. Mm-hmm. However, by the 20th century, Teddy Roosevelt issued. So we, so we had eight for Washington, one for Adams, four for Jefferson. By the 20th century, Teddy Roosevelt had 1,081 executive orders. He's already in quadruple digits. And he had this idea of the stewardship theory of executive power, which basically meant that the president should do everything that isn't explicitly forbidden by the Constitution so that they can be very active. But then FDR, you know, he was president during the Depression and World War II. He had all of the emergencies that Hayek talks about. He issued 3,000, over 3,000 executive orders, and every president since 
has issued hundreds of executive orders going all the way to the most uh, to the most uh, uh, odious, you know, the, the worst one that we've had recently was the Biden vaccine mandate one. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think that those presidents or those ex- and, and I mentioned in Wisconsin, by the way, our, our governor, Tony Evers, had an executive order that was the safer at home order that we were all supposed to stay in and and non-essential businesses were to close. Now, I don't think that they care whatsoever that that those are unconstitutional or that's out of whack with how the balance of powers are supposed to work. In fact, I don't even think that they care that those will eventually possibly get struck down by the courts. What we saw with Biden's order with, with the vaccine mandates is even though eventually it was thrown out, in the intervening months, how many thousands of people who mm-hmm. otherwise would not have gotten the vaccine or did not want it, uh, as, as th- th- that was a medical intervention that they had decided for their own reasons that they were not going to get, they were going to refuse. They got it out of fear for losing their jobs. So, you know, mission accomplished, if you will. They'll, they'll get what they want. And then, of course, there the... I've already talked about how the courts have overstepped their what's given to them. So with that, it, it is hard to uh, to prevent our freedoms from eroding when those who are elected to represent us or appointed mm-hmm. to represent us are not staying within the yeah. parameters they've been well, given. I will bring it back around to, as I call it, spiritual nullification, much less constitutional. Imagine if they threw a mask party and no one showed up and no one wore a mask. Uh, You know, all of those mandates would have fallen apart instantly. Mm -hmm. The participation in the madness, the unconstitutional prohibitions and mandates gave, quote unquote, artificial life to them. And moving forward, folks, if there's a message about on this uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, whatever you want to call it. And and we've got a few minutes left, uh, Stephen, I might want to ask you, if you don't mind, just to brief what does this mean those resurrection of christ and and you know how does that uh involve how do people live moving forward you know different from what we've discussed in terms of interaction with the body politic more secularization that says you must violate your religious freedom in order to be free which is not real freedom right no that's that's uh such a great question in fact uh what we're talking about, you know, Resurrection Sunday today, when everyone's going to be uh, hearing what we're talking about newness of life. So in the Christian faith, one area which I think our, our focus is a little off and, and something we don't always embrace is we look to the resurrection as past historical events. Christ was crucified. He paid the atoning uh, death on the cross for our sins. He was buried and rose again. All past tense historical events that then have future implications for the believer in that we will also resurrect. We will rise. We will have eternal life uh, through him, forgiveness of sins, all of those things. So what does that mean for your uh, typical Christian is, you know, they look forward to, well, this isn't the end for me. Death is not the end. I have eternal life. I have forgiveness of sins. Heaven, the new heavens, the new earth, all of those things. But so often we fail to embrace the reality of the resurrection in our present tense. Mm-hmm. So the, the book of Romans talks about how if we have been 
crucified with Christ. We've been put to death with him. We have also been raised with him, present tense, that we may walk in a newness of life. We are putting off the old ways, off the old fear, off of the shame, off of the patterns of life that that did enslave us. And we're walking in a newness. We are living resurrected lives right now, even in these old bodies that even as well as we can take care of them, they're eventually prone to entropy and decay. We are living in a resurrected reality. And that is the most free reality that we can possibly live in because Philippians chapter 3 talks about that new resurrected reality. We don't have to look to the past anymore. We don't have to look to our mistakes except to learn from them. We don't have to carry our shame anymore. And uh, Hebrews chapter 2 talks about the freedom. You want to talk about freedom? There's freedom in that too because prior to that reality clicking with us, we have this constant looming fear of death. But now we are free from that as well. So what I'm, I'm trying to convey to our church here at Grace Evangelical on this particular Resurrection Sunday, and what I want to convey to, to everyone out there, is that the resurrection was a past historical event, you know, in the past tense. Yes, it has major implications on the future, but let's live right now in the reality of what the resurrection has on our present and the implication that if Mm -hmm. your old self has been crucified, has been put to death, you're not just living as a, as an animated corpse. You are living in a newness of life to which you are called to a greater degree of freedom than you have ever known because you have the clear sight and the clear vision to really take hold of that agency that you were given from the very beginning mm-hmm. and live it unencumbered by those things sometimes of your own making Steve, that enslaved you. Steve German, thank you for bringing the spirit into the everlasting now on this Easter Sunday. Uh, whatever belief you guys and gals out there hold, may the light of God and the love of God be impactful upon your heart to live a more inspiring life and inspired life. And um, you can raise up others as you would live uh, and you'd want them to live, but in freedom has been a big message here today. Thank you, Steve. And of Absolutely. course, to uh, the Grace Evangelical Church as well at graceisforyou.org, right here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, where I remind you that the power to heal is yours.